0: If you want a guy who's going to be a free agent here again, Mr. New York Red Bull, Sean Davis, would be a free there's agent. No, there's no way he plays for an MLS team other than Red Bull. do so? I, absolutely, I absolutely love the player. He is awesome. You don't think he'd come join his buddy Dax? Man, that, 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 you you said it. Mr. Red Bull, man. There's no yeah. way. I mean, man, now you got me dreaming. Now you got me dreaming, Wes. He would be tremendous. I mean, he, yeah, he brings absolutely. some of that hard-nosed absolutely. press attacking exactly, through defending. Yeah, he's exactly a player that Nashville could use. I just don't see a way that he plays for an mls team that is not the new york football red bulls well those
1: were our words on november 30th 2021 that's right just over a month and a half ago we called it or at least one of us did and the other one uh <laughs> Tim, one I of boom your boom rare it. misses
0: I, I dismissed it out of hand for
1: sure <laughs> i am the prescient voice of Nashville Soccer Club, Wes Bowling, because even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. (laughs) And you are listening to Club and Country, the podcast
0: of record from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, where, as Wes mentioned, I have been covering the club longer than anyone. It is great to be back, Tim, to hear the sounds of Moon Taxi, and to talk with
1: you. You did an awesome job holding things down in my absence, and I am so eager to get back and discuss all the things that have happened over the holiday break. As I was up in Canada, I got there with every intention. I brought the podcast mic up with me. Mm -hmm. We drove 16 hours, I was ready to go, and the Wi-Fi was miserable. It just wasn't going to (laughs) happen. And so I appreciate you
0: holding it down, and uh, it was addition by subtraction for sure. Uh, no, the, all the uh, magic happened in the editing booth. Thank you to Braden for taking care <laughs> of that for me because I couldn't do it myself. So. Well, Tim, your dream came true, but your prediction
1: did not. You said that Sean Davis would be an ideal signing, a, quote, dream signing for Nashville. See but that he was never not going to wear red. You were not the only one that felt that way on either front, that he'd be a great fit for this team, but that he probably was never leaving the banks of the Passaic River. However, it happened, and Sean Davis, central midfielder, captain of New York Red
0: Bulls, the latest member of the boys in gold in a busy offseason. Yeah, among folks who kind of only know the team in passing, we have fielded a ton of is this a big deal questions over the past week or so. And the short answer is yes. Based on what you just said, it probably gives it away as well. Ideal signing for this club. Um, he's one of the top domestic players in this in league at his position. He has past chemistry with a couple of Nashville SC players, and he's one of the dudes with one of the biggest good guy reputations in this league too. And it checks all of those NSC DNA boxes that, that Mike Jacobs talks about all the time and, and we bring to you guys as well. And so today is going to be
1: dedicated to Sean Davis, to the departure of Alistair Johnston, and to Josh Bauer, another acquisition for the Boys in Gold uh, that happened uh, in December. We're going to get into it. And I know, Tim, you discussed Sean Davis uh, on last week's episode. You discussed Alistair Johnston. You were discussing Davis at that point as a probable hypothetical. Uh, And Johnston, you got into, but even you previewed that we would talk a lot more because I'm, of course, uh, I'd love to ramble. And we'll ramble about that. Um, And then Josh Bauer, uh, Jason Longshore, is going to talk with us, the color commentator for Atlanta United and Atlanta United 2, who has unique perspective on Bauer, who was with that organization before moving to nashville sc and we'll hear from justin sosa journalist in the new york new jersey area who will give us a little more info about sean davis a busy show and we hadn't even talked to him just yet about the mls super draft which may have already happened by the time you're listening folks on your on your podcast
0: devices yeah, there's a lot going on. And um, obviously, hot Tim Winter trudges along. It, it waits for no man, including myself. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy. This is the time of year. This is why we coined the stupid hot Tim Winter phrase. This is the time of year that, that really excites me. It's fun to kind of play armchair GM. It's fun to figure out where all these pieces are going to fit together and how more pieces are going to come to this club. And that's exactly what we have a ton of on this episode.
1: Two places and only two places you're going to need to go this off season. Right here, Club and Country Podcast and, of course, ClubCountryUSA.com. If you read Club and Country while listening to Club and Country, that, my friends, is called hashtag Timception.
0: <laughs> you might rip a hole in the space-time continuum if you do that too continuum even oh there we go there we go Wes Ooh, is back folks I'm Wes back in a big way back.
1: saved up i saved up the puns we'll see and for those who are still listening let's preview what we're gonna see talk about today in the early shout we'll give you three things you probably didn't know about sean davis then we'll take a deeper dive into the alistair johnston move look it can make sense and it can be tough to absorb both of those things can be true, and I think both of those things are true for a lot of Nashville SC supporters. They hate to see Alistair Johnston go, but it makes sense. And maybe after listening to us, you'll understand why it really, really, really made sense. And again, Tim gave a nice preview of that with some, uh, some sterling logic last week. Then a pair of interviews today. We'll talk Sean Davis first with Justin Sosa. He represents numerous outlets up in the New York, New Jersey area. A strong, budding journalist who has covered Red Bulls really well for a few years and can give us a little more uh, info into what Sean Davis will represent present why he left new york red bulls and what impact that could have for both clubs and then jason longshaw we previewed it a minute ago he's going to talk about a young player center back josh bauer how he might fit into nashville sc and of course we're not going to sit down with a radio commentator for atlanta united and not talk about atl on a broader level they're still a rival and we're still going to treat them like one of nashville's rivals even if they're only going to play at least once this year maybe twice if they can get together in u.s open cup or um, mls cup mls cup baby that would be be, that it's played in Chattanooga and the winner gets a Nick Jack Lake.
0: (laughs) Exactly. They should play in like Dalton, Georgia. They can come up with a surface for them there. I don't (laughs) know. This, this was a they-make-carpet-there joke. I don't know. Just move on. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, ju- with I, I'm, I'm way behind. I haven't been there on the, uh, on the pun game for, okay. for a few the weeks. The jokes right. are a little synthetic.
1: They're not really organic. But that's, <laughs> hey, there we go. That's all right. That's okay. Um, in the back, how will Sean Davis impact the club this season? Uh, Tim spoke a little more uh, uh, last episode about what a, a flat 4-3-3 could look like. That may not be the way Nashville goes. probably won't be the way they go most matches. So then, they have three great central midfielders how do things rotate? How do things pan out? What is Sean davis uh, how, how does he factor in here in in uh, Nashville season? and then what can we expect from other guys next year? Many of you are asking about other players aki Loba, Daniel Rios of course, the striker is going to get a lot of uh, a lot of airtime uh, and a lot of questions uh, from you guys. And do we anticipate any surprises from this team? plus our favorite naming rights options that can turn into great uh, nicknames for Nashville's to be named stadium. Can't wait for that one.
0: Speaking of speaking of a pun off, oh boy, do we have one coming for you guys down the pipe
1: here. <laughs> get ready. You're going to want to listen all the way to the end. That one's going to be near the end. And outside in, we'll get ready for the Super Draft. Again, we recognize some of you may be listening after the draft. And so we'll also discuss its importance, its meaning, the approach Nashville SC has taken to the Super Draft, and what we can expect from any of the players that Nashville does end up taking. We're not going to know those right now. We're talking before the draft. But in general, how Nashville views the development of the players that it picks in MLS's college draft. And then in the final whistle, our content recommendations is off season ticks on, but boy, we're not too far away from the 2022 season. All right, it's time for our early shout.
0: You know, I always wanted to earn every single minute. I didn't want to be handed anything. I didn't want to just play because I was captain. And so I just appreciate uh, the staff for believing in me. And I tried not to take that for granted for a second. I tried to train the right way, tried to recover the right way. Um, again, I live a boring lifestyle, just trying to make sure I'm ready to go each and every game.
1: And that is the last time Sean Davis spoke to media members as a member of New York Red Bulls. That was after their playoff loss. He summed up the passion, Tim, that he brings to the pitch, but now he's going to be delivering that passion in a different color. He's going to be wearing gold. Um, you had an outstanding solo show that came out Tuesday. You speculated about Sean Davis, and then on Wednesday Wednesday, It came out. Nashville SC officially did announce the signing of the free agent central midfielder, which fulfilled a month's long wish of ours. As you heard from the clip at the beginning of the show, it forces New York Red Bulls to find a new captain and it gives Gary Smith's midfield a huge boost.
0: Yeah, like you mentioned, when we first started talking about him, it was in it was in like pipe dream that's not realistic sort of terms and it it just became slightly more realistic slightly more realistic and then it happened and obviously he's a great fit which is why he was that kind of pipe dream sort of guy but um, you know that goes without saying and now we have a little bit more opportunity to kind of look at where he fits on the field too. And just a bit of a depth chart refresh. Of course,
1: we know that Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty were the uh, starters when when healthy and when available for Nashville SC last year. Behind them, you had Todd Ryan Nunga, who continues to develop, who's well liked by by this staff, and Matt Lagrassa. So Nunga's still around. Essentially, you wave Matt Lagrassa and you pick up Sean Davis. And we are huge Matt Lagrassa fans, personally and professionally. But there's no way you don't see that as a massive upgrade for this club. Uh, A guy, Tim, that had the respect of his organization in Sean Davis. He had stability. He's from New Jersey. He grew up in the youth academy for Red Bulls. We've talked about what Nashville sees in him, but here's my question. Why do you think he would turn down a chance to stay with the club that developed him, a club that was seeing some success? I mean, it's a consistent playoff team, and come to a place that already has a couple of established central mids in in Godoy and McCarty. I mean, did he want a Duke buddy that badly in Mike Jacobs?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, a big part of it is, is why wasn't New York Red Bulls willing to do what it took to keep him around? Or was there something that they could have done to keep him around um, in by the terms of the collective bargaining agreement that the Major League Soccer Players Association has with the league? Red Bulls have the opportunity to offer a free agent who is leaving Red Bull more money than any other club on um, the based on the reporting that's been done around the league, not my my own reporting, but done around the league, is is that Red Bulls were willing to offer him more than any other club was allowed to offer him, and he just didn't want that offer. So was it a sense of of restlessness that kind of seeps in with guys who have been with one club essentially their whole lives, um, there's something to be said for Nashville, building a reputation as a club that top free agents w- are going to go to if they want to win That's something that obviously is a very positive reputation to have it helped, for example, the New England Patriots for years and years. But the, the big question is, is why? And only Sean can answer that question. And I think you know, we're going to talk to Justin in, later in the show, and I, I, he's not going to have a very good answer for it either. I'm pretty sure.
1: And of course, when uh, we do talk to Sean, we will play that audio for you. He'll, um, at some point, you would imagine, have a media availability where he can offer that uh, that perspective. But one thing we want you guys to know, so we get into our gold nuggets, we'll give you three things you probably didn't know about Sean Davis. The first one is, you may know you may know the fact, but let's get into the uh, details behind it. The fact is, this is a big fish in Major League Soccer. This is a big acquisition for Nashville SC. What you may not know is he ranked in the top 10 in Major League Soccer in eight categories Last season, that doesn't include distance covered, where he was uh, among the most active, maybe the the most active in distance covered, I believe, um, in Major League Soccer last year. So Tim, you ready
0: for this list of of his I know top one of ten them. rankings? I know one of them. Minutes okay. for a field player, because he was the only field player who played every minute for his team. That's, Man, see the I like other that nine. Stat. The other nine, do what you need to do. <laughs> I like that
1: stat, and you mentioned that stat on last week's show. But it's such a bummer too that because it just reminds me that Dave Romney would have got him hurt yeah, yeah. if he hadn't missed that last game against mm-hmm. New York Red Bulls and Sean Davis. Oh. Yes, he was first in minutes. Second, he was first in interceptions. He was second in most passes into the final third. He was third in tackles attempted. Seventh in tackles won. The seventh most aerials won. Eighth most progressive passes. And the ninth most pressures. Now, a lot of those are Red Bulls stats, right? Mm-hmm. This is a pressing team. So you're gonna, if you're a central midfielder playing every minute, yeah, you're gonna get a lot of interceptions. You're gonna press a lot. You're gonna win a lot of tackles. You're gonna win a lot of 50-50s. All that's given, but Sean Davis has played a lot of soccer for Red Bulls, and by those stats, by the standards they set, it was a career season. It was the best season of Mm -hmm. his career. So he's coming in, ranking a top MLS in a lot of categories. You would expect an active Red Bull to be at the top of MLS in,
0: even still, by his own standards, career Mm -hmm. year. Yeah, some of that is just that different positions on the pitch see different peak ages. You see goalkeepers playing until they're like 38. In the case of Tim Howard, you see um, center backs playing until they're in their mid 30s positions that are reliant on pure speed. Maybe you peak a little bit earlier. Davis Mm. is kind of right in that middle sweet spot. He's going to turn 29 before the season begins. So he is kind of right at that peak for a central midfielder, obviously the way he plays it is pretty mobility dependent. So it's not going to last forever, but it it stands to reason that this is the perfect time for him to, to say that it's not an anomaly that I just had my best season. This is me hitting my stride. And one good
1: way to judge a, a player's contribution to the overall team effort is the goals added statistic. It combines a lot of different disciplines on the pitch and it calculates in each one of those disciplines how many goals added or subtracted uh, the the player put forth, and and you can get more into the building blocks of how they calculate that. Uh, but our, our second fact is, per your reporting on ClubCountryUSA.com and uh, American Soccer Analysis reflected this as well. Davis, which probably where you got the data, uh, Davis ranked fourth at his position in MLS in goals added. Um, so strong central midfielder by by that comparison. His two biggest statistical building blocks leading toward that stat were passing. goals added, and interrupting. Tim, um, those stats, those those positive numbers there, are they a factor of the Red Bulls' high-octane style, interrupting in particular comes to mind, or do you think these contributions could be replicable in Nashville and Gary Smith's system?
0: Yeah, the interrupting is, is definitely because of the Red Bull style, because they are press, press, press all the time. He's going to be making tackles all over the field. He's going to be making interceptions all over the field. That's not necessarily something that every team asks of their central midfielders. It's not something that um, I guess you could look at a team like uh, Real Salt Lake, for example. They aren't asking basically anybody to break stuff up. They're asking guys to prevent shots from getting off by kind of packing the box a little bit. Um, maybe Nashville has a... a undeserved reputation for that a little bit itself. Um, So it stands to reason that it might not perfectly apply, but in terms of of passing, Red Bulls are a little bit more possession oriented under Gerhard Struber than they have been historically, um, whether that was under Jesse Marsh, whether that was under Chris Armas but th- they're not pass to possess. Nonetheless, they, they have not gone all the way in that direction they not, I guess like a sporting Kansas City who wants to do both. Um, he was one of only a few players deep into the positive numbers in passing goals added on the team. Center back Thomas Edwards and striker Fabio uh, were the other two who had really good passing seasons. And his midfield mates were all near zero or or slightly negative in terms of passing. So there's certainly something whether it's because the club is asking him to do something differently than his teammates or because he has the ability Um, I think the club wouldn't be asking him to do something different than his teammates if he didn't have the ability. So either way, it does reflect positively on him. He got a ton more of the ball than any of his central midfield uh, compatriots. And Schubert cycled through a bunch of different formations. So it's not necessarily just, oh, they play a formation that is reliant on his position because they were cycling through a bunch of different stuff. And he managed to find success in all of it.
1: And you mentioned Central Midfield compatriots. One of those former Central Midfield compatriots was Dax McCarty. They played 25 games together in New York a few years ago. In fact, Sean Davis, the only Red Bulls teammate of Dax McCarty, left on the team in 2021 that played a minute for New York last season. Uh, Alex Muehl, 106 combined matches alongside Sean Davis. Tim, Nashville and New York play different styles, and yet you saw them go with, I mean, Dax wasn't straight from New York, obviously, but mm-hmm. a former Red Bull there. Alex Muehl with, with great appeal. Um, that didn't mean to rhyme there, but they, they uh, <laughs> obviously acquired him in 2020. Uh, they play very different styles. What is it
0: about Red Bull's players that seem to appeal to Mike Jacobs? Yeah, I mentioned that um, inadvertently earlier, kind of mentioning that that Nashville's style is not going to be one that says, OK, we're going to press all the time. Although, I again, I think it's unfair that Nashville is kind of seen as a pack the box sort of team because they do want to get out and press a little bit. But I think a big part of it is, is you just know exactly what you're getting when you get a guy, especially M- Wheel and Davis, less so um Dax, who came out of college and, and went to FC Dallas before joining the Red Bulls. But if you get a guy developed by Red Bull, you know what you are getting in that guy. Um, The thing that Red Bull developed players have historically lacked or New York Red Bulls only, I I think the global Red Bull brand is a little bit better, but that technical precision on the ball is not necessarily something that you are always expecting with a a New York Red Bulls developed player. Mm. Um, Alex Meal has kind of taken some criticism for that over the time uh, that he's been in Nashville already, but that's not necessarily the the number one priority for a Mike Jacobs, Gary Smith team. They want guys who are going to go out and run their butts off guys who are going to go out and give full effort all the time. And guys who are going to go out and say, you know, Dax McCarty is the emblem of who we are because Dax is all of those things. Although he is a pretty good technician as well. And, those are the, the the two aspects, that energy and effort are the two that you really know you are getting with a Red Bull guy. And and you can use them in other ways. And obviously, Davis is, is a very good technician as well. So it doesn't quite even quite apply to him that, that that kind of lack that the Red Bull players sometimes have. So um, there's just a lot to like in, in the way that they develop players. And unfortunately for them, sometimes, especially lately, develop players for other teams. But it's definitely something that you know what you're getting.
1: Yeah, big gain for Nashville SC from a Red Bulls team that we were both. Guess would have been happy to keep sean davis on the roster as their mm-hmm. captain leading the line with a group of inexperienced players uh, we'll talk in just a little bit with justin sosa and get a little more of that perspective and, and he can tell you with a little more certainty and then we're going to uh, in the mailbag address a couple of questions you guys had about davis as well so much more from uh from us about sean here as the podcast goes on but let's now talk about a player who's no longer wearing gold and that's alistair johnston tim i was up in canada i just shoveled off the the driveway your and the your walking path. and Yeah, I, I guess he just wanted to follow me and hang out. I don't know. I was I was in Quebec. I was a couple hours away uh, when I, I got that bombshell news. I think I got a text, actually, from uh, from John Freeman, former Nashville SC voice, that was just Alistair dot 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 wow. And I thought, oh, something's going down. Wi-Fi's not good. Let's see if I can figure this out. And, uh, of course, was able to to learn the news that that we all learned. million dollars in GAM going to Nashville SC for Alistair Johnston. It's his old-ish news, but we've not gotten a chance to discuss it together. Interested in your deeper thoughts about the trade, and I'll I'll give my opinion as to why I think this happened. Um, Alistair Johnson is a hard player to lose. Uh, he was beloved by Nashville SC. We all took great joy seeing him develop for Team Canada as well, Uh, you know, going in the short sleeves in Edmonton and minus whatever (laughs) degree temperatures and and playing the full 90 and beating Mexico. But the fact of the matter is, in soccer, this is our first introduction, really, in, in Nashville to the reality that most folks who listen also understand, because they cheer for other clubs outside of the U.S., which is that Every player has a price on his head. Every team ultimately should be a selling team, and certainly in Major League Soccer, that's the case. And um, I, I honestly think, as as much as this staff continued to like Alistair, this wasn't obviously dumping an asset they didn't want. They got their money, and mm-hmm. they were going to get it now. They were possibly, maybe going to get it later. But if you if you transfer Alistair abroad, if you're the one who does that, you can only convert a million and fifty thousand of that fee into general allocation money. They traded him now and they got their million. And the time value of money would suggest a bird in the hand now, right? You'd rather have that cash now than potentially have that cash later. Plus the sell-on percentage. If Montreal then transfers him, you're going to get a piece of that action too. And that that really eases the blow. But Tim, I want to focus a little on, on what Nashville could potentially gain as well. Because I think there's a point on which I might disagree with you a little bit based on last week's show. You said you didn't know necessarily if Nashville was going to go out and fill that spot right away of a of a right back. And correct me if I'm mischaracterizing your your take, but you're not I do com- not remember. <laughs> I
0: <laughs> Then I'll ask
1: you now what you think. I, I like I I don't I I think this is an opportunity for Nashville to go get a more attacking minded right back. I don't think that person is on this roster. It's not Eric Miller. Uh, we respect him more than a lot of folks out there do, but it's not him. Um Jose Donaciano is probably not ready just yet to to blaze a trail. I think they're still learning what he can be. I think that there could be another move coming. I don't have insight info to suggest that necessarily, but the one thing Alistair didn't have was the ability to consistently overlap and cross and be a factor in the final third. And I see an opportunity for Nashville now to go replace him with that. Maybe not at the million-dollar level, but with somebody who has the building blocks to develop into a consistent offensive contributor. Now, the point you made that I thought was really good on the, on the previous episode was that Nashville doesn't have to have that. They've got yeah. Dan Lovitz on the other side, and mm-hmm. you would you would tend to think it's it's like a staircase, right? If, if Lovitz is a step up, you want to be a step back to be a little more conservative, not just throw caution to the wind, but I still do think somebody who's a little more of a two-way right back could be on the way to Nashville.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a definite possibility, and I think you know if there's an opportunity out there to get a guy who's a world-class right back with great offensive skill, you do not turn that guy away. The thought is is just kind of that in this league and um, the way Nashville is built right now, you don't necessarily have to go out and find a guy with with better offensive ability. You want a guy who is going to be defensively stable and you can build from there. I think, you know, Eric Miller is defensively stable enough. I know fans might not necessarily agree with that, um, but he's not going to provide you much offensively. So that can be good enough because you have Lovitz on the other side. So, yeah, if, if there's a guy who's who's coming, you know, at the $1.05 million in GAM level who's going to be both as defensively sound as Alistair Johnson was and more offensively capable, yeah, there's no way that they turn that down. It's just a matter of what you're going to be able to get in exchange for that. I think that's the bigger issue. So what about Alistair's
1: value? Uh, do you think Nashville got good money for this deal? Was it a can't? I think it was a can't miss deal. They, you know, every mm-hmm. player has a price at which you just have to sell and every player on this roster, by the way. I mean, Walker Zerman does too. I'm sure it's just a different price and it's probably a different
0: league. What about Alistair? Did Nashville get the money they should have gotten out of this? Yeah, well, it's worth Mentioning that $1 million in guarantee allocation money is more than Nashville spent to get Walker Zimmerman. So that's kind of setting a bar right there. Obviously, um, the money has changed in the past couple of years in terms of what allocation money teams are willing to spend on players generally and defenders specifically. So that's not necessarily um, the best comparison, but to, to get rid of Alistair Johnston, um, you know, and it, it, it to get the amount that you could have spent on Walker Zimmerman is, is Alistair Johnson, for all the respect we have for him, both on and off the pitch, is not a Walker Zimmerman level difference maker in this league. Um, if you want to just look at guys who have moved this offseason, which I did, um, you know, I believe the day that the Johnston trade came through, LAFC right back slash center back, very, very positionally uh applicable to Johnston's situation. Tristan Blackman went to Vancouver Whitecaps for 475000 total GAM. Um, Charlotte kind of served as an intermediate step there as a bit of a three-way trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at Franco Escobar from Atlanta United. He went to Inter-Miami for 600000 in general allocation money or, or potentially less if he doesn't meet um, certain uh, performance-related metrics. But he, I think he's universally more regarded than Johnston. We both really like Johnston. I think everybody in Nashville really likes Johnston, but for him to go for almost as much as both of those guys combined, when I think the general zeitgeist doesn't rate him as equal to either of them individually, this is a lot about the sort of business that Mike Jacobs did. And um, it tells you why we believe it was a a move that they couldn't turn down because Montreal was willing to pay such a premium for this guy. And there's an unsexy
1: reality behind all this too, which is that sometimes you have to prioritize members of your core. Mm -hmm. Max McCarty got a raise. Dan Lovitz got a raise. Those are two that we can fairly suspect. They got new contracts and they played really well, which means they're likely making more money than they were last year. We'll find out here uh, as salary numbers are released in the coming months. Other guys do for increased contracts. You have to collect that gam as Mike Jacobs told us. And you collect the gam so that you can go out and find a replacement value player, but also so that you can subsidize the contracts of guys Mm -hmm. that you desperately need to keep versus guys you'd like to keep. And Johnston probably fits into that would-like-to-keep category. But ultimately, there were other guys clearly ahead of him in the pecking order that I think we'd all agree, members of that core that that Nashville needs to buy down. And ultimately, this million-dollar infusion,
0: it, it probably helps get a guy like Sean Davis and buy him down. Yeah, and I, I'm actually going to publish a piece on this. I just haven't had a chance to write it yet. And people are asking, what are they going to do with this game? Who are they going to trade all of this gam for? And, and they, the short answer is they don't have to, and they they won't be able to because they want to use that gam to continue building the type of roster that they have now, which is by giving guys raises. You hear, especially in MLS, because of the way that the salary uh, structure works, that teams who are good can't stay good because their guys deserve raises and there's no money to give them raises mm-hmm. acquiring general allocation money. Um, obviously you do lose a guy that this club really liked in Alistair Johnson, but to acquire the allocation money to help continue funding raises for some of his now former teammates and for funding some of the maybe increased salary of, of a guy um, uh, like Sean Davis vis-a-vis the salary of Matt Lagrassa. Sean Davis is going to be making a lot more money than yes. Matt Lagrassa. That money has to come from somewhere. And unfortunately, um for for nashville fans it's coming from the trade that you give up alistair johnson and you don't have to pay alistair anymore although i think he's getting paid very well by montreal that's part of the reason that he was happy to go um so you you kind of have to make some of those tough decisions
1: and i'll be living both sides of this here in about 45 minutes from going on a, a montreal show the ball is around great podcast our friends who've come on this show before and talking about what they're gonna get and i'll be i'll be honest with them i think this is a great trade for Nashville and I think we all hope it ends up being a good trade for Montreal too there's there's still incentive for Alistair Johnston to be a, a, a widely supported player here because of course we like him uh, but also because that sell on value uh, could, could have a positive impact for Nashville SC since they have a stake in that All right, back to Sean Davis now and on to Justin Sosa. We've mentioned he is a very busy journalist up there in the Northeast. He's covered Red Bulls for several years and has unique perspective into why Sean Davis made the decision to leave this club and how that could impact uh, New York Red Bulls. Let's hear from Justin Sosa.
0: Justin Sosa is a freelance journalist and recent graduate of Seton Hall. His bylines include the Scotted Football Handbook, American Soccer Now, and Once a Metro, where he covers the New York Red Bulls. He is here to break down the Sean Davis signing for Nashville SC. Justin, thank you for joining us. Yeah,
2: of course. Uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit about, you know, some MLS soccer. Haven't had it in a while, obviously,
0: so (laughs) good to get back. Well, let's get right into it then. First things first, the... the, the you know, 10,000 foot view, what sort of player is Sean Davis and what are some of the strengths and weaknesses that he's going to bring to Nashville SC?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say first off, just from growing up in the, in the Red Bull system, you know, Sean Davis, having done that, uh, you're getting somebody who's a hard worker, who's relentless. Um, You know, you're not going to get a head case in the locker room in in any sense. Um, Just someone who's going to put their head down and kind of get to work. Last season, I think we saw a big improvement in terms of how he plays on the ball. I think he took a lot more risks in terms of his passing, Um, just try to be a little more forward thinking in terms of how he progressed play. Now I wouldn't say he's like our, you know, some magical deep lying playmaker, just just saying that like it improved from where he was. And I'd say that's probably at like an average to good level in MLS. Um, So kind of like when you guys brought in Dax McCarty, you're getting a similar player in, in that sense.
0: So as a guy who played alongside Dax as well, do they, do they you know, have complementary skill sets or are they kind of two guys who played a similar role for Red Bulls, you know, with Davis taking over once Dax departed for Chicago?
2: I'd say relatively similar. I mean, they're going to be the deeper of the two midfielders. Um, Dax is definitely a lot more of, um, I guess, more of a charismatic personality. Like he's very expressive, obviously, and Davis is a lot more quiet in how he kind of runs his business in the field. It's a lot of lead by example, Um, not saying that obviously Dax doesn't play and lead by example, but he won't be as, I guess, vocal or as uh, he won't pop out on your screen uh, on your screen as one of those kind of um, loud figures in any sense of the word. Um, I'd say he's more. um, He's more disruptive than Dax, Uh, obviously, you know, having looked at that midfield and seeing like players like Felipe, like Davis, like McCarty, like Tyler Adams. You kind of get a similar mold with all of them in terms of how well they kind of break up play. Um, but, I, you know, I think you're you're getting something similar to Dax, maybe just a little bit more energetic, given that he's a little younger.
1: Justin, it's it's clear what Nashville would see in Sean Davis, and you've spelled that out well here. Earlier on the show, we asked the question, we're going to ask you too, why do you think Sean Davis wanted to leave? He, he could have taken a bigger offer from from Red Bulls. He's established there. He's beloved there. I mean, he grew up there. Why do you think he chose to leave the only club he's ever played for?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's still a question I'm trying to come to terms with. I mean, like when the news was announced and my dad and I were talking about it, I mean, we were obviously heartbroken because we now have this long standing record of just a player becoming captain. And it feels like the next year or the next two years, he's he's out the door. Hmm. Um my guess is, you know, maybe they they weren't anticipating him playing as many. I mean, I don't see how a player goes from playing literally every single minute of your season to losing time. Um, but obviously, they just brought in Dan Edelman. Um, Ricky Carmona saw more minutes last year. Uh, Christian Kassaris, obviously, is, is hopefully going to be a bigger part of the team. Um, so maybe it's just a matter of getting these younger guys in, in, in midfield and, and maybe he was, he was facing some minutes in decline for the season.
1: He'll get a chance to play more minutes in Nashville. Um, you would think than, than perhaps Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy, two guys he can he can learn from though and develop from um, as he works with those two guys who have been around a little longer than he has. Where do you think he has room to grow and, and continue to develop his game in Nashville?
2: Uh, I, like, like I said before, I mean we saw improvements in, in his passing and just general on the ball play. Um, you know maybe he finds that next year in Nashville he continues to improve on that. I don't really think there's a question of his work rate or how you know strong he is in that sense. Um, but definitely on the ball, there's still room for improvement. Obviously, if if he wants to reach this next level, he's going to have to have more time to kind of, or he's going to need to focus on progressing the ball a bit more. And I think in a team like Nashville, where you're not you know, doing the Red Bull style of pressing or, or Hernan Lozado's DC United style of pressing, and you're a bit more um, compose the in possession and just kind of have more ideas of what to do on the ball. I think that'll bring out that part of his game a bit more. So that might be something cool to, to watch as it develops over this next season.
0: Yeah, that press is, is obviously such an important part of what Red Bull has done, not just in Harrison, but around the world. They have done it with almost all of their clubs. How does his style of play translate to a club that's that's not going to do nearly as much of that? Although I, you know, I know under Struber, they were a little bit more possession-oriented after getting the ball. But what sort of style of play differences are, are going to be maybe more difficult for him to handle? And what is, his, is he going to bring to one that doesn't have that uh, heavy press all the time?
2: Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to just – generally being on the ball a bit more because I, I would definitely say Nashville is more possession, definitely more possession-oriented than the Red Bulls were last season, uh, even if, you know, a possession style of play isn't exactly how to describe Nashville's game. Um, but the upside to that is players like Hani Mukhtar and, and any of the forwards that you kind of have up there, he's going to be the type of player that once he's on the ball, he's going to be looking to get it to their feet. Um, so if you can, you know, if Gary Smith can kind of unlock that balance between him pressing, working hard, winning the ball back, and then moving the ball forward at the right moments and finding Mukhtar and, and the other forwards kind of in spaces where they can cause damage, where they can break a def- uh, defensive line. That'll be really cool. Um, you know, obviously then for Sean Davis, he's, he's hitting that next level in terms of how effective he is as a player. Um, so the adjustment really is just kind of seeing what he can actually do in a team that has some semblance of kind of what to do in possession rather than always looking to you know, hit on the counter um, and I guess spring more when you're on the back foot than you are being on the front foot.
0: You mentioned his, his personality on the field earlier, you know, kind of in relation to Dax. What's his personal personality like off the field? Or, or What are fans going to see out of him? What are his teammates going to see out of him in the locker room? What sort of guy is he?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think he's a personable guy. Um, you know, he's not somebody who I guess stands out as, as like the the fan favorite in terms of like, Oh, he's like really funny, or you know, um, he's he's just got he doesn't have this, this like single personality trait that stands out in terms of like his humor or whether he's like super serious or something like that. Uh he's just a really stand-up guy. He, he reminds me a lot of Luis Robles. Um, again, more vocal than 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 Sean Davis, um, but just somebody who kind of keeps his head down, just knows what to do, isn't gonna, you know, ruffle any feathers in terms of. You know his his teammates' chemistry in the locker room with his coaches, or do anything um, that would necessarily upset a fan base. Um, so you're getting a really reliable guy that, that adds a lot of character to to your locker room, and obviously adds a a, a good depth piece to your already relatively strong midfield.
1: You mentioned your disappointment to see Sean leave New York, and he's the latest in a in a string of departures over the years as the club seems to be going younger and younger, and you know working with that greater Red Bull system. What does this mean for Red Bulls? Where where do you guys go next? Continue building that young core but without a key veteran piece that was instructing a lot of those young guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. We have Aaron Long obviously coming back from injury, so I I anticipate that that's, you know, our veteran guy kind of in the back line. Um Carlos Coronel obviously had a, a pretty stand-up season last year, so he's coming back, which is huge. Um I think more so than in previous years, we're getting a relatively strong core group back to then go into a new season. I mean, obviously these guys are young, a um, Frankie Amaya, you know, he maybe they didn't play so much towards the end of the season, but players like him Carmona and Patrick Lamala, they're all coming back. Um, familiar faces are kind of coming in. So maybe there's just a little bit more organization, a little bit more understanding between the players um, I am, though, really excited that Daniel Edelman is moving up from Red Bulls 2 into uh, the first team. Um, unfortunately, uh, it seems like it was at the expense of, of Davis being with the team, but I thought it would have been really cool to have him kind of learn from Davis in the same way that Davis learned from McCarty uh, and so many other midfielders that were kind of here uh, before he officially kind of became a, a mainstay in the first team. Um so we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm relatively optimistic about next season for the Red Bulls if if the young guys can kind of get going. Um, I don't, I don't. I'm not a big fan of this trend of you know our older guys just kind of getting shipped off for free um, or just kind of let go. Um, but I guess that's just the the way that Rebels is kind
0: of is kind of working lately as, as far as the, our older captains and such. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for providing us all this insight about Sean Davis. We will not ship you off. Uh, with nothing to show for it. Thank you so much for joining us, and we, <laughs> we appreciate, appreciate your insight. Here. Thanks.
2: <laughs> of course, guys, no problem. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, thanks to
1: Justin for his time and insight, and hopefully that helps us all better understand a little bit more of Sean Davis's line of thinking. Let's move to another acquisition that hadn't been quite as heralded. Josh Bauer picked up by Nashville in the uh, first round of the MLS re-entry draft after he was let go by Atlanta United. Young center back with... A lot of potential. And uh, Tim, before we talk to Jason, uh, your thoughts as to what Mike Jacobs is thinking as he's looking to reinforce the center back depth of bringing a guy like Josh.
0: Yeah, he loves to bring in these guys who have long college careers. Josh played at University of New Hampshire for his full career. And then he already has some pro experience, too. Um, played for Atlanta United, too. The year before that, played for Birmingham Legion. So this is a guy who has been playing pro ball, and you get him with zero acquisition costs. That's that's the perfect Mike Jacobs uh, cocktail right there. Uh, you don't need to spend anything to get him. You just need to pay the guy. And that's something that um, you know they've seen enough on film to really like what he could provide. And there's very little risk in making him a guy that you bring in and and hope that he does provide it
1: perhaps nobody who covers major league soccer has talked more about josh bauer or seen him play more than jason longshore he's a commentator for both atlanta united and for atlanta united two which i call 2 nighted. josh played a full season for atlanta united two he was on the bench some for the senior club Jason, of course, saw him in both capacities. Uh, here's our interview with Atlanta United commentator Jason Longshore that covers Josh, but also a whole lot more about Nashville's neighbor to the south. Well, if you follow soccer in the southern United States, you have most definitely heard the name Jason Longshore by now. He's a commentator for Atlanta United and for Atlanta United, too. He's extremely active in the Atlanta soccer scene. University of Georgia, graduate, longtime commentator, uh, dating back to ATL's Day one in Major League Soccer, and we're glad Jason's joined us today to talk about a big acquisition involving an Atlanta United former player, Josh Bauer. Uh, Jason, thanks for, for taking the time uh, to, uh, to chat with us today.
3: Yeah, as always, love catching up with you guys.
1: So let's talk first about um, Josh Bauer. Uh, he's a player that Atlanta United drafted. He played extensively in USL this past year, and, and again, we've just established that you have visibility into that USL team, the reserve group there, Atlanta United, too. Uh, what did you see in Josh Bauer that you liked? Why do you think Atlanta decided not to proceed with him and, and what would have appealed to Mike Jacobs and Nashville SC?
3: Yeah, I think he was really close with his, his time here in Atlanta. He played um, exclusively with Atlanta United too. He mm-hmm. did make some game day rosters in MLS uh, when there were some depth issues at center back. He he didn't get the opportunity to debut in MLS. I, I think Bauer impressed me with his quality on the ball um a lot of times he was paired up with much younger center backs with atlanta united too so he showed a lot of leadership as well uh deceptively athletic he's got better pace than you might think um he doesn't get beaten very often you know over the top i think what improved as the year went on was reading the game at the pro level i think reading the speed of the game but he kind of reminded me when he was drafted by Atlanta United in the second round, where a lot of people had projected him as a first round guy Mm -hmm. and and Atlanta got him early in the second round. He kind of reminded me of a possible Michael Parkhurst kind of player. As I got to see him more, I I don't think he's as much like Parkhurst as I might've thought. I think he's more athletic than, than I thought he was. I think he really suits what I've seen from Nashville in that, if you guys go to that three center back setup, as I've seen, you know, more and more, it seems like Gary Smith likes to play. Bauer can fit into that three or be the first guy off the bench with the three that you have and can play straight away.
1: Is he a victim of Atlanta's growing focus on its Academy and and just the personnel churning through there and then de-emphasizing developing those draft picks? Or or do you think there was maybe a fatal flaw that he had that made him (laughs) maybe not an ideal fit with United, but a better fit with Nashville?
3: Yeah, I don't think it was anything about him, really. It's a little bit of a numbers game, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. right now, when you look at Atlanta's depth chart at center back, you've got Miles Robinson, who has had one of the best twenty twenty ones of anybody, you know, in American soccer. I think Alan Franco ended up being a home run signing. Um, the third possible center back that Atlanta chased, uh, they they had a couple issues with their first two. One was an injury. Uh, one ended up going to River Plate instead, and they get Franco, who had experience with Ezekiel Barco from Independiente. But I didn't know if Franco fit the style of play because he had never mm-hmm. been asked to really play with the ball at his feet. He he killed it. He, he absolutely nailed it. So those two, no problems. Um, Anton Walks was here, but unfortunately was lost in the expansion draft. But when Bauer's option wasn't picked up, that was prior to that. So you mm-hmm. have to go back and consider walks as part of the roster at that time. Uh, they kept Alex DeJohn uh, as a veteran who I think really embraced his role uh, of being a teacher in a lot of ways, developing mm-hmm. the young guys, knowing that he wasn't going to see the field a ton. And I think probably the biggest thing that, that hurt Bauer here in Atlanta was the development and emergence of George Campbell. Mm-hmm. I, I think George Campbell as an Academy product who really came onto the scene in 2019 with Atlanta United 2 and when he did get opportunities in MLS this past year, he lit it up. He was outstanding, and, and I think he probably jumped a lot of people in that depth chart.
0: This Bauer a guy who was close enough that you know you mentioned that he made a few game day rosters. Had there been a normal year where there's a U.S. Open Cup and things like that, he probably would have made his debut for the senior team.
3: Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think if he had had an Open Cup, he would have gotten an opportunity there. Um, I, I think. You know, what was interesting is I think DeJohn was brought here really as the number four. Uh, you know, if you put walks in, in that first three and Campbell passed him. And I think Bauer was right there with him. But Bauer probably was a guy who he needs to play more. He, he did that role wouldn't have suited him where maybe it suits an Alex DeJohn. There's also Bryce Washington, who's another homegrown who came in from Pitt, came in midseason. And I think they really liked Bryce Washington a lot because he can play out on the right as well as playing as a center back. There's a couple of center backs in the academy now who could be pushing towards homegrown signings. So I think it's just getting squeezed a little bit on both sides of the roster in terms of the numbers game that pushed Bauer out.
0: Now, obviously, um, Atlanta let him go. They didn't uh, exercise his option, but seeing him go to a rival, is that something that Atlanta fans are going to worry about, that Atlanta administration is going to worry about? Or is it kind of with Nashville spending a year in the West that the the rivalry might die down a little bit, might not even matter that much?
3: There were quite a few people who, the uh, fans that that follow soccer down here and and listen to our Mm -hmm. shows, where we had Bauer on as a guest. It was a great interview. Uh, I love talking to him, really thoughtful guy. Um, they were really hoping that Bauer would kind of get through the, the waivers and reentry drafts and all of that and then maybe come back, maybe if it mm-hmm. was a twos contract or not. Um, it's a shrewd pickup by Nashville, in my opinion. I really think it's a good pickup of somebody who, you know, is probably at a very affordable cap number, probably going to fit on that supplemental roster spot anyway. And somebody who can play in Gary Smith's system
1: and, and be just fine straight out of the gate. You have mentioned his ability to contribute straight out of the gate, but you've also said just a minute ago that he's also a guy who benefits from maybe playing a little more than he was obviously able to do with the senior squad. Do you think he's the type of player who, who maybe gets loaned back to USL Championship this year to, to get that, those minutes? Or do you think he could be an important enough cog for this team that Gary Smith might want to keep him around and, and keep him with the senior squad and learning from those guys? I think he's ready. Um,
3: the the question, and and you guys would probably be able to answer this more than me, is kind of where he fits straight away into the depth chart for you. Um, there's a couple questions that I would have, like where he slots in. He played really regularly for Atlanta United too, so I don't know outside of just staying fresh what a a USL loan would do for him. I think it probably be more of if he doesn't see the field or or doesn't get into you know at least get into game days for a couple of weeks, maybe there's a short-term loan. But I, I don't think it'd be a long-term thing because I don't think it's a development issue at this point. I, I think it's just a you know, a maintenance thing if he goes to USL.
0: From, uh, from the perspective of what I had just mentioned about how Nashville and Atlanta aren't going to play as, as much as they have in the past couple of years, um, moving away from Bauer specifically, are Atlanta United fans upset to, to only have the one game in Nashville this year? Or is it a, a situation where they're saying, okay, we got Charlotte now, forget these guys? <laughs> I was
3: shocked it was only one game yeah. with Nashville. You know, like I wondered if there would be a way that they'd squeeze it to where they'd get some of those cross conference ones with twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I get the long term. I think mm-hmm. Nashville will find its way back to the East and, and all that will sort out. But um, Charlotte, I don't know where that fits yet. I'm, I'm really curious to see what the reaction is. It's two games that Atlanta plays with them early, which I think will help the rivalry aspect of it. It's, yeah. It's not like you play them once and then don't play them for six months. So it's going to be two games in a month. Uh, Charlotte has come into the league really with a lot of kind of bluster towards Atlanta, which, which wants to, to ramp up that rivalry. And that's fine. If that's the way it's going to be, that's cool. Um, I love the rivalries. I love that Atlanta and Nashville, it has went from being, I think a very, very friendly, like let's all hang out and drink together kind of idea at game one to hey, maybe we don't like these guys too much. (laughs) That's good. Like, that's a great thing. I think the games on the field, you've got, you know, some history now with the, the wild game at at Nissan with Jackson Conway's equalizer and just back and forth and all the chaos of that, the, the comeback for, for Nashville at the Mercedes-Benz stadium. Like you got a lot of really good history between these two now and some friction. So i I think with Atlanta United, they're going to end up being one of those clubs that has quite a few rivals. Uh, Like I Mm -hmm. think Orlando will always be a rivalry. I think Charlotte will absolutely be a rivalry. And I think Nashville will absolutely be a rivalry once it gets back to two games a year and, and you guys are in the East again
1: and anytime both teams can end a game in a given season in abject disappointment uh, after stoppage time <laughs> then then you you're you're definitely planting the seeds of a rivalry and I think Tim and I are both on a record that we very much enjoy um, the fact that it's it's growing in, in a little bit of hostility, but still has that edge of respect that maybe Orlando yeah. doesn't have for anybody. Yeah, I don't know if helmet. Charlotte's
3: gonna have that level of respect either is the sense I'm getting so maybe Nashville will be the more friendly
1: rivalry of the rivalries for uh-huh. Atlanta. Nashville has backed it up on the pitch. We'll see if Charlotte is, is able to do that. Um, yeah. Looking at what Atlanta's done this off season, the move that jumps out to me is bringing in Ozzy Alonso for that veteran stability signed as a free agent to come in and really you know, shore things up. Whether or not he plays every match, the ability to, to, to help instill a culture with this group. Two managerial changes in a couple of seasons. Now Gonzalo Pineda gets a full offseason. Question for you, is this the most important offseason in Atlanta United history? You know, I don't know if it is because the, the roster is pretty well set. Uh,
3: I think a lot of the work that the team did was really coming into 21 where there were more moves made. And bringing in Luis Araujo in the midseason was massive. Uh, yeah. Such an incredibly talented player that I don't think we've seen anywhere near the best of yet on a consistent run of form. I think he was still adapting to the league and to the team. Uh is a perfect addition for what was needed last year i think you needed the ability with a very young team i think atlanta united at at times because of some of the expectations we forget how young the group is it's it's a very young roster you had a lot of guys playing significant roles for maybe the first times in their career and late in games that showed at times and you need a guy that if alonzo becomes that closer to come in and and help see things out spot starter i mean i've I'm like penciling in an expectation of about 1500 minutes, uh-huh. you know, about 15, 15 starts, 25 games kind of idea. Santiago Sosa is going to learn a lot from him. Franco Ibarra is going to learn a lot from him. I think he's going to be an extension of Gonzalo Pineda on the field. And it wouldn't surprise me long-term if somebody like Alonso sticks around and wants to be part of Pineda's staff.
1: You saw things stabilize with this group toward the second half of the season, a team that looked like it was on death's door, Uh, when it came to its playoff hopes, rebounds, gets into the playoffs, quits itself fairly nicely, and then, you know, has a tough out against New York in a place that it's just hard to succeed. Uh, What is the the tenor around there right now? Is there optimism about what's growing because of that stability, because Pineda is very highly thought of internally and throughout the league? Or is there a little bit of anxiety that this club wants to get back to being a championship expectant and not just a playoff hopeful?
3: Yeah, I, it's hard to get a, a sense of that feel um, because I think there is a level of expectation that is just hard to meet. You know, it's it's what big clubs have to deal with, uh, and that's something Atlanta United set out to be from day one. And I, I think in terms of the expectation and the pulse, they've absolutely achieved it. Because I, I don't know if it's you know a year like last year is seen as acceptable. I, I think you know when you get down to the the nuts and bolts of it didn't work out with Gabrielle Heinze. They made the move, and Rob Valentino did a great job steadying the ship. Gonzalo Pineda comes in, and from the day Pineda was hired, Atlanta United was one of the four best teams in MLS. Now, they, they did have a favorable schedule, but then you can also say the first half of the schedule, where it wasn't great, was a very difficult part of the schedule. So, I mean, you can play that game both sides. I think they did everything right when Pineda was hired and the moves they made and they showed some character in in late season games, getting results late, getting the draw at Red Bull arena on the Wednesday before decision day took a lot out of them, but it gave them a cushion going into decision day. You go to New York city and give up two weird goals. And it's a tough place for Atlanta to play, wanting to spread the field. There's nowhere to spread the field to. It just, it, it didn't work and it didn't go well. And those two goals really killed you. I do want to see if they can play at the level they did under Pineda for 34 games. Mm-hmm. I want to see if they can maintain that. And a guy like Alonzo is big. I, I wonder if there's another veteran signing coming. Cause that was something that was mentioned after the season and, and Atlanta United does have to look. And this is where I think maybe the, the uncertainty, you know, creeps in is, George Bellow has been linked with moves, although not really firmed up. It, it's a, right about that time that you think he might go. Ezekiel Barco is going into year five here. And, and that's usually around the time he's at the end of a contract. So are you going to re up? Are you going to sell? Is there an offer? Miles Robinson's name has been thrown around with the year he had, although there's been nothing concrete at all. Yeah. If moves happen with them, then there's a very different conversation around Atlanta. And that could happen in the next month to where, everything we're saying is different it could change quickly
0: obviously nobody around Atlanta wants to do poorly but it seems like there's nobody who wants to win and wants to succeed more than Joseph Martinez what is the frustration with some of these stars I mean I guess you could you could lump in some of these guys who are playing on the back line as well in that in terms of of results not matching especially the guys who have been there you know since the championship season yeah,
3: I think for Joseph, a lot of his frustration that came out at times this year was was with his his knee, was with his body. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't able to do everything he wanted to do. And and we didn't know coming into the season really what the, the level of difficulty the recovery process was for him. You know, we didn't really have a glimpse of that until Joseph talked about it. I mean, he, he said it was so difficult that he didn't know if he'd play again. and And we had no idea. Um, there were so many different complications that we just didn't know about coming into that year. So it it really puts the first half of the season for him in a lot of perspective. Mm -hmm. after hearing it. Um, Joseph is a guy who is a leader without having the armband, you know, like you, you don't, you don't have to put the armband on him. He's a leader regardless. And he's a guy that I think demands everything out of his teammates, um, I think you do have some of those other guys. You mentioned guys on the back line. I think Alan Franco brought that attitude. I think Osvaldo Alonso will help bring that attitude even more out of people. It's a good thing um, because I I don't know if you get there if you don't have that killer instinct from guys. And I think it's something that when you look at the clubs who went deep in the postseason and you, you try to find what was different about them, I think New York city had it in guys like Tati Castellanos and guys like Maxi Morales, who, you know, will, you feel like they'll, they'll, they'll punch you in the face if they got to do that to win a game. Like you just feel like there's a different killer instinct is what I keep coming back to. And that was something that I'd ask you guys about because watching the, the postseason with Nashville, it felt like that was the missing element at times for me because I I've, I've watched, you know, Nashville pretty consistently. And I I have a ton of respect for Gary Smith. I think he's one of the most underrated guys in the league. I think you got a lot of guys that are on the, the underrated team of the year for me. And I think it was just that, that killer instinct that was missing at times that, that was needed in
1: big moments. Well, you look no further than penalty kicks, you know, for that, that type of mentality and you go for four and penalty kicks and that's a, you know, it's a canary in the coal mine, if you will. It's not, you guys have have bad moments, but I think, yeah, it's, it's that, I, I would agree with that, that assessment for sure. Um, and I think that that Joseph Martinez holds a unique place in the in the hearts of so many MLS supporters as well. Perhaps outside again of the city of Orlando, uh, <laughs> where he is he's an appreciated villain. Right, he's villainized almost every okay. team at this point. But there's such a love of what he represents, and uh, I think that that killer instinct maybe is something Nashville is, is going to to the Sean Davis well for a little bit too, right? I like that. Yeah, you know, Red Bulls call. captain who's willing to press and hit you hard on the break and and, and be that leader, and Nashville has plenty of leaders, but but that, that hard-edged guy. I want to ask you about another leader uh, in Nashville. It's hard for us to imagine Gary Smith wearing a color other than gold, uh, but you actually covered him before we did when he was coach of Atlanta Silverbacks and then briefly had a stint behind the scenes with Atlanta United, so uh, offering a chance for you to tell any Gary stories or uh, relate what your experience with uh, with Gary was like before we'd ever even really heard of the guy. Yeah,
3: I got to talk to him probably more when he was doing the the scouting with Atlanta United because we we set up some some academy combines with different communities around Atlanta, and, and Gary came out and you know as we're watching the the different players go through things, you get to to chat a little bit and get his perspective. I watched him intently with the Silverbacks for 2015 because I did a lot of game day stuff and I was working with the reserve team at that time. And what impressed me so much about that team, and and they're they completely forgotten about because of the way the club ended, and that was a league run team at that stage. He had zero budget. He had nothing to work with, and he had a ton of injuries that year. But when when he had a healthy team with a lot of no name kind of guys, he had them playing as well as anybody in the NASL, and he had them playing in a three five two and i've i've always kind of waited for him because he didn't really show much of that with nashville until this year and i kept thinking that's where he's going to get to initially or get to eventually is is a 352 or 343 that looks a little more 3421 or or whatever but three in the back and gary i think is a much better tactician than anybody in in the league nationally will give him credit for and I, I saw it with what he did with, with duct tape and paper clips and chewing gum <laughs> to keep a team together in Atlanta. But the, the moment that I think about Nashville the most from last year was the, the, the win here at the Benz where it was Alistair Johnston at right center back mm-hmm. and Daniel Lovitz at right wing back. And we talked about it in the pregame. Because that's become kind of the trend is to have a, a fullback in a center back position with three and get forward. And when Johnston went forward and flared out wide and in Lovett's cut inside. it's where the first goal came from. It worked to perfection. It was something that I think he had scouted about Atlanta. It was something that he exploited and, He didn't get any credit outside of probably our broadcast on that. (laughs) And he deserves it because he's such a smart guy. Like there's this tag on him from Colorado, another team that he held together with duct tape and paper clips. He hasn't had to do that with Nashville yet because he's got a lot to work with, but if times get tough, he can find that way with what he has to get wins. He's just, Mm. he's one of the best coaches in the league. And I don't know why he doesn't get that credit.
1: Well, you won't hear any argument from us on that, uh, Jason, and and certainly really eager to see what Atlanta United is able to do. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Nashville SC supporters approach their feelings toward ATL in a season where the two are not competing uh, for a, a conference championship. They will compete on May twenty first at. The new yet-to-be-named stadium can't wait to see you up here it'll be uh fox's first visit i believe uh, to the new stadium as well and i uh, look forward to, to getting together and uh maybe pandemic times are at a place where we can sit down and, and have a couple of beers and and trade more stories but thank you so much for being generous with your time today and giving us some insight on josh bauer and atlanta
3: yeah anytime saturday night prime
1: time atlanta nashville i can't wait for that it's gonna be a blast and the only meeting until they play each other for MLS Cup, of course. Absolutely, that is correct. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, thanks, y'all. I thought, Tim, that Jason would tell us that this was a defining offseason for Atlanta United. It feels <laughs> that way to me. And yeah. then he said, "Ah, eh, it's not the biggest offseason in club history. There's stability there. But if not the biggest offseason, it is at least a massive season for Atlanta United to prove whether they are a title contender, as the money suggests they should be, Mm -hmm. Or just to play off regular who's happy to be fifth, sixth, or seventh, which I don't think anybody there wants to be.
0: Yeah, it's something that you and I have talked about kind of they've been they've been an example that we bring up as we talk about Nashville, which is maybe not burning quite as hot, but burning a lot more steadily over the course of its um, kind of entry into the league, I guess, over the first few years here. And we'll see if Atlanta is able to kind of recapture some of that that bright heat that they had in 2017 and, and gets back to that level, or if they're going to be a team that's kind of happy to be on the fringes of the playoffs. I'm certain that the ownership is not happy to be in that position, but it's just a matter of being able to get it done. All right, friends, it's your turn.
1: Let's move to the mailbag. We've talked about Sean Davis, Alistair Johnston, Josh Bauer. John Mueller asks, realistically, what is left on Mike Jacobs' off-season to-do list? And what should fans have on our to-do list, Tim?
0: I think for fans, it's it's resting your vocal cords, coming up with clever puns for two polls. You can listen back to the earlier portions of this episode for some really great pun activity. As for Mike Jacobs, I, I don't think there's a ton left to be done before the season. I'm shoring up depth, possibly seeking out a right back, like you mentioned earlier. Um, whether it's a guy who you expect to start or whether somebody who can come in and provide competition with Eric Miller and they both get a lot of minutes. And then of course, Jacobs is, as he always is (laughs) monitoring the international market for players who will become available and kind of figuring out when they'll become available in this specific instance, looking for guys who are going to be out of contract or going to be available on transfers in the summer window, because we do expect that that third designated player spot remains unoccupied for the first half of the season as We have seen in the previous two seasons, Mm -hmm. they want to figure out where they need to add bodies. And it's a spot where you can, if you can spend a lot of money and get a really good player to fill your one biggest weakness as you get, you know, just past that halfway point in the year, it's a great way to do it.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest personnel moves this offseason for Nashville SC have already happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to get much bigger than collecting a million in game for a trade, and Alistair Johnson certainly going out justifies maybe the biggest move, but Sean Davis right there with him. Um, I I think right back has to be on the the to-do list, and we discussed this a little bit earlier. There are a couple tracks Nashville can take. They can go with a player, as you've mentioned, who is competing for starting time, a solid addition there, or they can as chris hole theorizes we'll go to his his comment here his theory is that nashville's going to bring in one of the quote excellent right backs available through the mls allocation list and that's a, a list of players who have played in the league before playing abroad now who can come back and you you there's there's an order you can't just pick one of those guys you've got to be top of the allocation order to do that which means you got to usually pay money to the team that's there and, and give them some game uh, chris's theory at the moment that Mike Jacobs traded for that spot. The dealer, the deal to sell Ali was already being pinned, and this was the replacement strategy that made the deal possible. I, I it's a good conspiracy theory. I don't know <laughs> that it's necessarily true, but I can see where he's getting that logic, and it raises the question of that second road. Tim Nashville could get a serviceable veteran to compete for time and be consistent, or they go out, they spend a lot of gam to get that top pick and they bring in a Reggie Cannon, who's in a terrible situation in Boa Vista. They still hadn't paid <laughs> Dallas for his transfer. Or DeAndre Yedlin. I uh, would love seeing a Spur come in here, but at the same time, uh, certainly would be a big, big deal. Uh, you referenced both those guys on last week's show, just as kind of mm. ticking through possibilities. Do you think either would be a realistic
0: option? Yeah, I mean, for a given definition of realistic, right? <laughs> it, does, <laughs> yeah, it, sure. it does sound like Cannon is set on finding other options in Europe for a loan away from Boavista. so that's something that... Um, Yes, you would like to say, okay, if, if that's a possibility, let's try to make it happen. Um, does Nashville want to splash the cash to beat other teams to the allocation order punch? They're currently sitting number 21. Um, the rumor is that Miami, which just picked up the number one allocation spot, is, is about to trade it to Orlando mm-hmm. to pick up one of these two guys, DeAndre (laughs) Yedlin. So we'll see. Um, I don't know if that'd be really kind of the the Mike Jacobs money ball sort of thing, unless he saw that right back or, or a player of that type being the one piece needed to really turn this into a championship contender. And if he sees it that way, I think there's, there's, you know, no level of money that seems just wrong unless it's just throwing money down the drain, but it's something that I think they'll be interested in evaluating what's available out there. Um, But moving up in that, Allocation order is is going to be kind of expensive right yeah. now because of the time of the season because of, of everything that's going on globally picking up um, Americans out of the allocation order is a little bit more expensive so we'll see what happens but I do think it's something that if the opportunity were to arise I wouldn't turn down DeAndre Edlin for a no, second of
1: course of course yeah. not. Spurs jokes aside no absolutely not. I, I will say this, and I'll agree with Chris in one respect. I think that Mike Jacobs had a replacement player in mind when he got rid of Alistair Johnston, somebody not on the roster now. Again, this is speculation, purely speculation. But you don't—he's—he's he's too much of a chess player to just get rid of a guy and say, "Oh, I'll figure something out." Is it kan or Yedlin? I don't know. I think it's more likely that it is, as we've mentioned, a, a veteran who can come in and 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 be the typical type of Nashville acquisition, undervalued elsewhere, brings you know a good blend of two way skill. And hopefully some attack to, to go as part of that. Uh, Super Duper Wyatt asks uh, the about the effect that Sean Davis could have on this team, and it's a good question, Tim. And it's one again that you addressed last week, which is that you've got Anibal Gadol, you've got Dax McCarty, two guys that if fatigue were not a factor, you would happily start thirty-four games each. But they're in their thirties. They are young people, but they are relatively old players. Let's let's draw that dividing line. <laughs> And my question, I guess, to to expand on what Wyatt is asking, because we've talked a little about the impact. Does Sean Davis lead central midfield in minutes for Nashville SC in 2022?
0: Yeah, I think I have a hard time seeing anybody else doing it. Um, Godoy is going to need to be rested a little bit early in the year as Panama goes through its final phases of uh, world cup qualifying. There is an international window in March that's after the season starts. So that's going to be something that, um, you know, Nat, uh, MLS isn't playing through the international window there, but he's going to come back from Panama and be tired. He's good. You know, you want to give a 31 year old guy a little bit of rest. He can't play every minute. Um, uh, Dax McCarty is a guy who um, had some overuse injuries this past season and is a guy who you probably want to give some rest anyway because the thing that he gives you when he's well rested is that energy that we talked about being kind of the, the Red Bull way previously. That's what Dax provides when he has the opportunity to do it in terms of how rested he is. You don't want to run that guy into the ground. Um, Davis is a guy who's, who's a couple years younger than Godoy. He's, he's a half decade younger than Dax. He's a guy that you still don't want to run him into the ground, but he has a little bit more of that youthful energy, and you can probably see him stepping in for either of those two guys, and I think probably being the primary choice in a two-man midfield with those guys maybe rotating a little bit with him and, and rotating next to him as well stylistically, is he more of a Dax or more of a Godoy? Uh, he's a little bit more of a Godoy, I would say. He kind of has that a little bit more of, a, of an all field, but maybe not so much final third. Whereas Dax has got a really, uh, I guess, underrated ability to get into the final third, make that late run into the box. He's more of kind of a box-to-box box eight and, and a guy who can sit a little bit more comfortably as the six and roam sideline to sideline rather than, than really worrying about getting right into that final third.
1: Well, one thing, too, I want to mention that... And maybe it's intuitive, but just to to get it out there. So often when players are dealt and we think about how they're going to fit into their new clubs, we think about a starting 11, right? Mm-hmm. But let's, let's remember, too, that formations are fluid, so is game state, and that in the latter minutes of matches, shape often goes out the window. This is a Nashville team that's going to be fighting and clawing for a lot of... <laughs> You don't want to hear me say this. A lot of draws early in the season, (laughs) right? Eight-game road trip to start the year. I don't think anybody's sitting here and expecting Nashville to be top three in the league after those first eight games. It's going to be a fight. And they're going to be trying to see out some maybe scoreless draws, see out some wins when they take KG leads on the road. Um, This is a team that's going to be expansive in the attack, especially once they get home. But early in the year a flat four three three in the 85th minute when you're tied at one in Seattle and trying to see out a really good point, at, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see these three guys in together in those moments. So it's tempting to, to look at that and say, how are we going to, you know, how's this going to balance out? Who's going to get screwed out of minutes? But in reality, I think from the 65th minute on, you could often see Godoy, McCarty, Davis in there together when all are mm-hmm. healthy and, and when all are fresh and available.
0: It's it's worth thinking. Remember the old school. It happened a little bit the first year of MLS, but also in the second year of USL. Playing that Derek Jones type player as the yeah. as kind of a, no, a nominal number ten. I could easily <laughs> see Davis or or Dax being in that position. You have a real defensive midfield three, even if it's not that flat midfield three. I do think it gives a little bit more of that flexibility to do kind of off the wall stuff like that too.
1: I'll never forget. That was my MLS play-by-play debut filling in for, for John that first year was the new <laughs> England road match where Derek Jones was the, was the, the striker. The, he was the striker. He was the number yeah. nine. And as soon as Gary let us know that was going to be the lineup, I was like, well, I'm not getting a goal. <laughs> <laughs> Newton Domini reaches out friend of the show. What do you guys expect to see this year from the team that would surprise most folks when it happens?
0: Good question. Uh, Happy belated birthday to Newton, my birthday, buddy. Um, I I don't know if it'll be seen as a surprise um, or maybe just a reversion to form, but I do think this will not be one of the worst set piece defenses in the league. I think Nashville is going to really concentrate on on getting right what it got wrong this past season and getting back to what we saw in the first year in MLS. And, and some of that is going to be a healthy and available Walker Zimmerman with fewer international breaks that that sure. disrupt the MLS season. But a big part of Nashville's struggles last year still came with Walker in the lineup, and they're going to, I think, really take a close look at the film and see what happened there. I don't Again, I don't know if that's necessarily a surprise, but I do think that it's something that will be a, a radical change from what you saw in 2021. You went with positivity. I'm going to go with realism here. Don't be surprised if
1: Nashville's below the playoff line when it hosts its debut home match on May 1st. First eight matches are on the road. We know that's going to be tough, right? Uh, I think we would both expect this team to be good enough, talented enough to ultimately be above that playoff line when the season Mm -hmm. ends. But let's compare Nashville's start to the last established MLS team that opened the year with an extended road trip. So I'm not counting Austin, you know, to start its expansion year. I don't think that's fair. But 2019 Portland, Providence Park was being renovated. They went 12 matches, their first 12 matches on the road. Uh, this obviously, a you know, a veteran team had been a contender in recent seasons, and they went 0-5-1. That's five losses, one draw in their first six. They won just four games in that 12-match road trip. And then, Tim, they made the playoffs. They finished sixth. They lost in the first round, but they ended up being a playoff team. They regained their form. Of course, they were backloaded with home matches. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know— this Nashville club will probably take some results away from home in that stretch. That they shouldn't, um, you know, but, but I think this will be a different team when they get yeah. into their pitch, when they establish that rhythm. And so don't be surprised. Don't be up in arms or wanting to fire people. If Nashville is in ninth place in the West um, after its first eight matches, it doesn't necessarily mean they
0: can't regain that form, especially when they get home. They won't have the divine Providence park factor coming but uh nope 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 aborting that pun real quick <laughs> hey things aren't always rosy in portland either hey there we go mm-hmm. nice
1: yep you got it you got it all right moving on the oregon trail of our questions here newton we had a follow-up uh what do you expect to see from daniel rios will asked uh, will we actually see aki loba on the pitch and what are the chances of honey Mooptar getting sold so i grouped these together because they're you know yeah. individual questions so first daniel rios aki loba and then honey muktar being sold I think the last
0: one's the easiest. Um, Hani Mukhtar is not getting sold anytime soon. It's not there. Uh, I I believe it was Galatasaray. I don't even remember which Turkish club it was. It is not happening. There has not been communication with Nashville SC's management about it. It's not something to worry about. Will he eventually get sold? Probably. He's a guy who has dreams of getting back to Europe at some point in his career, although he's extremely satisfied with the role he has in, in Nashville. He's, extremely satisfied with the club situation that he's in in nashville um but for now no i would not worry about it at all um in terms of of rios and loba for both of them the issue last year was was fitness for different reasons rios has struggled with injuries during his time in nashville and loba was in the middle of his offseason when he arrived in nashville um i wouldn't worry too much about either of those rios managed to get healthy and have a great uh, 2019 season for nashville's uh final usl year um loba is a guy who kind of has the opportunity to follow the blueprint that we've seen from Hani Mukhtar and, and Jandar Khadiz. Uh, I want to qu- quickly, Mukhtar was was given the <laughs> kind of kind of underachiever label in the 2020 season. And, sure. and I, we saw this past year, exactly kind of how that was a little uh, misplaced. Um, Khadiz came in and, and took a long time to even get onto the field during the 2020 season. And people forget that at the beginning of 2021, before going to Venezuela and um, with their national team, and, and reportedly contracting a, a respiratory illness, um, he was having a really good start to the year. Um, when he came back, he he had to quarantine upon return from those um, ball qualifiers, and just never really got back onto the onto the pitch in the same way. But was having a really good start to the year, and I think if you saw Lobo do the same thing in terms of of coming around as a player, I, I believe. Uh, you'll see a lot of him and he can do a lot of different things in ways that Cadiz couldn't in ways that Mukhtar maybe I think is probably a better comparable because Loba Mm -hmm. can play on the wing. He can play as kind of that pseudo number 10. He can play up top as a striker. And I think that kind of number of paths onto the field will really help that.
1: I I chuckled a little bit. So um, long story short, Dallas acquired Dom Dwyer just to release Mm
0: -hmm. him. And that's that's spending some hunt money
1: there. Yeah. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. They got 20 million more in their pockets now to spend after Ricardo Pepe. And so it was, they were never actually retained Dwyer, but one fan misunderstood Mm -hmm. and responded to the news and said, Oh man, should have signed Daniel Rios instead. Like, Oh, he's getting (laughs) some attention out there. Okay. That's good to see. And I think he'll earn a lot more attention this year. I hope he has the opportunity um, to get on the pitch and and prove his worth. And hopefully the health situation can allow him to do that. Uh, Last question is, uh, sorry guys, you all ask great questions, but this is my favorite from Steve Cavendish. Co-host of Flame Stream Sports, co-founder of the Nashville Banner, uh, former editor of the Nashville Scene. Awesome, awesome guy. Steve asks, who are the top three realistic potential sponsors for the new stadium based on what we would nickname the new facility? I.e., he's, he's lived in D.C. for a bit. Verizon Center is known as the phone booth. That's thats a good example there. Um, so we're not actually speculating as to who will get their naming right, deal, but who could realistically get it? That would have a great. Yeah, who
0: is the who is the best pun available to them? That's
1: yeah. Which he asked the right people. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> so I'll go three to one here. Um, and these are I, I did it based on companies that have a strong presence in Nashville that would also offer the opportunity for great puns. Number three, a company that I don't particularly have a lot of partiality to, but it works for the pun. That's Core Civic, um, private prison management firm. I have opinions; they are not favorable, but. You could call it the Civic Center.
0: Oh, like Center. Sin- I didn't get it. I did it. Interpret- I saw it
1: in print. Thinner. You uh, have pull to everyone
0: behind books. the curtain here. I saw it in print and didn't get it. No puns I get
1: it. are best via audio media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, Dollar General Stadium, or the Dollar Gam, the Dollar General Allocation Money. It's Mike <laughs> Jacobs' approach. Your tepid chuckle shows me that's not the winner. Or number number one in my list, Amazon you know the stadium was a little bit behind initially where they thought it would be even though it's been on pace for a while now amazon you could call it the slightly delayed package
0: <laughs> there you go all right are we are we ready for mine bring my, it um my, my my puns are let's go who knows uh warner music group could uh sponsor the stadium and, and call it the turntable mm-hmm. um because it's like a, a little record you know how they say yeah yeah no, I, yeah, I got it. That's... Have a DJ in there. Yep. Uh, yeah it'd be great stuff. Strong. Uh Gibson Guitars, uh, based in Nashville now. Uh the Les Paul Villian. Yes. Uh, their, their famed model, the Les Paul uh guitar. And and an electric guitar brings new meaning to pick-up soccer too, folks. <laughs> there's, there's my pun. There you and go. Then any any of the of the various pedal tavern companies. Um I I think i I think you and I probably both find them distasteful as well, Yes, <laughs> but, but uh, the bachelorette party, just make it simple. The stadium doesn't need to, uh, to rethink the wheel here. It can just be called the bachelorette party. People already think of Nashville as as the bachelorette party capital of the world, and uh, that can make the fairgrounds the bachelorette party capital of the bachelorette party capital of the world. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's
1: solid. And, you know, if, if Nashville's in first place in the West before their last regular season game, it can be the last
0: fling before the championship ring oh <laughs> uh, yes the the woo girls are, have a way to work into this as well we'll, we'll figure something out
1: they would splash a lot of game at the concession stands, though, buying, buying drinks and such. It would be, be great. All right, what do you, what about you guys? What are your ideas for this? You get the theme. You get the game. want to hear your jokes. There were a bunch thrown out on Twitter uh, on a Sunday night as well. I think Braden Gall had a few. Steve had a couple. So uh, interested in your in your fun puns. If they're good, we'll read them. They're going to be better than ours, so we'll probably be reading yours on the, on the show next week. Uh, let's go outside and, and, and briefly talk Super Draft, Tim. Much less exciting topic than, than name puns. Partially because Nashville only has three picks, and their first pick is in the twenty-six, is number twenty-six in the first round. So right at the end uh, of that first round. First, let's let's frame the super draft for those who are not as familiar with Major League Soccer. This is not the NFL draft. A twenty-sixth pick in the first round of the super draft is not as likely to contribute to a team in year one as the twenty-sixth pick in the NFL draft would be, for instance. Um, However, for a guy like Mike Jacobs, who is a genius at scouting the college ranks. There's still potential here. We've seen it. Nashville just sold a guy for a million dollars. That was the 11th pick in the super draft, first round. The Nashville traded up to get a couple of years ago. What are your expectations for Nashville? And then we'll just briefly talk about that because some of you guys are listening post draft, and and get into the deeper meaning of the super draft and how Nashville will look to use the signings that it picks up in the draft.
0: Yeah, I think the main thing that you look at is if you do not have. draft pick where you can get somebody who is signed to a generation adidas contract um it has a lot less value for you the reason for that is generation adidas players first of all you literally do not have to pay them adidas pays them so there's no money out of john ingram's pocketbook but also they don't count against the roster budget so you are getting a lot of value for a good player it's probably not a guy who's going to play a ton as as most rookies nowadays aren't but you can still get a guy on on a zero dollar budget hit, and that's pretty important. Obviously, you mentioned um, Alistair Johnson there. He's a guy who is not a generation Adidas player, so there's it. That doesn't mean that if you get a guy who is outside of that, t- you know, top eight for this year, for example, it doesn't mean that your pick is wasted. You can get a guy who can you can go on to sell for a million dollars in general allocation money, but. The big picture is you probably aren't going to get a guy who's going to contribute significantly as a rookie. I think Johnston probably would not have uh, if we had lived in a normal world in 2020, he was about to go on loan to, I believe it was Las Vegas lights. I'm already forgetting now. Um, And then the COVID pause happened and he came back and was able to contribute. Uh, But that's, that's a rarity. Um, Jack Mayer went on loan um, each of the past two years and, and came back both years, but, Even a guy who was the top two pick in the draft is not going to contribute a lot. But what you can get are guys who can stick around, who can develop a little bit in your professional system and can contribute down the road and can be solid pros. Um, There aren't a ton of Dax McCarty's out there nowadays um, when he came out of the University of North Carolina, but there are going to be some here and there. Um, Many of them are going to be Generation Adidas (laughs) signings at this stage. So unless Nashville trades up to get into one of those top eight spots or, or in a position to get a top eight ish pick um i think there's probably going to be one or two guys left at at around the 12th pick or something like that from the generation adidas class um you you can still get a little bit of value out of the draft i think it would behoove nashville it would behoove mike jacobs to pick guys from nashville to pick guys from tennessee who are Mm -hmm. available there are only a couple out there this year so it's not something that um with nashville only having three picks that they're going to throw away a pick on even if a third round pick is a guy who's probably not going to contribute um but they're going to pick guys that they think can contribute over picking guys from Tennessee, even though there's value in both of those things. So, you know, in the grand scheme, it can only be such an important part of your of your roster building process because of what is available. But it's definitely a part of it, nonetheless.
1: I don't think I can really add anything to that. I think that was very thorough um, and uh, all encompassing. But the general idea is that there's nothing Nashville's going to lose or risk in mm-hmm. the super draft. It is all gain from the 26 spot nothing to lose and and you'd rather be Philadelphia and sell your draft and get some nice scam out of it than Cincinnati and be on the purchasing into that and put a lot of faith in a bunch of young players. But uh, Nashville has proven it can develop these guys. Uh, If I'm a second round pick for Nashville SC, my life probably looks like being loaned to a USL club, then trying to prove Mm -hmm. myself and getting maybe with the club in year two and trying to, uh, to incorporate myself into that roster.
0: Yeah. And, and we mentioned it when Nashville made this trade, but they picked up Ethan Zubak from Los Angeles galaxy for a first round draft pick. Essentially what you're doing there is, is using your first round draft pick on a guy who's a six year pro rather than a guy who's coming directly out of college. And you can see why in that instance, Mike Jacobs made that choice because this is a guy that is worth probably a little bit more than a first round draft pick, unless Mm -hmm. you have no use for the first round draft pick, which is essentially, um, you know, Using it to draft a player was going to be less effective than using it to get a guy like Zubek away from Los Angeles Galaxy. So that's something that you have to keep in mind in terms of what these assets are valued at. And if, if you want to pull a Philadelphia and sell all of your draft picks and pick up a bunch of allocation money, more power to you. That's a smart way to do it if you're Philadelphia and you have a great academy, things like that. If you're Cincinnati and want to acquire draft picks, that's another thing entirely. You should probably not spend as much allocation money on them as Cincinnati did when they've done this. <laughs> Obviously, Cincinnati's been very wasteful, but I think when you look at what Mike Jacobs has done, he's going to appropriately value these things. He's mm. going to say, if we can unload a draft pick for this amount, or if we can pick up a draft pick for this amount, as long as the numbers fit exactly how he thinks he's going to build his team, it's a move that's you know totally on the table for him.
1: MLS Super Draft, Tuesday afternoon, and if you... Are uh, listening after that, then right now go to clubcountryusa.com. And if your timing is right, Tim, we'll have a story up on Nashville's draft picks and we'll talk a little more about them on next week's show. Final whistle, our first content recommendations of the 2022 podcast season, Tim, I'm going to steal an author that that you've talked about uh, at length, especially in this segment. And that's John Space Mueller, um, who writes for the athletic and other places too, including a space, space, space newsletter. He put together a zany, wacky, incredibly compelling piece on The Athletic, January 1st is when it was published, it's been out for a little bit, called The Five Kingdoms of Football. And essentially he took every team from major European leagues and he mapped out like a medieval style, like Gulliver's Travel style, whatever you want to call it, set of kingdoms based on the statistical data and how they play. You have um, a kingdom, I don't remember all the names of his lands now, but groups who bunker, groups who counter, groups who are end-to-end teams uh, and he maps them out where you're you're learning about their styles and how they relate and how you know Arsenal ties into a Wolfsburg for instance um so it's it's tactically kind of interesting but in a very weird zany like setup that has a lot of flowery language and reads a little bit like a fantasy novel it's fun. It's weird. I recommend it. Check it out. It's called The Five Kingdoms of Football and it's on The Athletic.
0: I'm going to admit the the pros in addition to the to the, uh, to the football stuff was a little much for me. It was exhausting, I had to, but I like it. I had, I, had, I, had, I had to work through it for sure. Yeah. Um, my recommendation is The Gomez Way um, which they a TheGomezWay.com. gomezway.com it's the family blog run by us youth international Jonathan Gomez's parents it's a look into kind of how he's gotten to where he is in terms of being a football um, soccer player Oof, almost said football twice to refer to soccer there uh, in terms of being a soccer player it includes contributions from both of his parents his older brother Johan Gomez who has been a USL player for a long time um, it's a nice reminder that these guys are, are yes they are dudes who play on our, our TV screens he will be playing in in La Liga B so he won't be on our TV screens very much but obviously the intention is that he can work his way to the first division in Spain soon but these are these are also people it's like his parents talking about like hey we went to go pick up Jonathan from the airport and this and that and so it's it is a look behind the scenes in terms of of what their life is like when their son is a top level soccer prospect and it's it's a really interesting thing to look at and it's a really it's it's a good reminder of of what, that these people are more than kind of um, pieces of of uh, of checkers on a on a checkerboard that we kind of look at and say okay this is how this is how this one of the 11 guys does that
1: even in moments where we do humanize the players I think we're better at that we rarely humanize their families or think about that experience mm-hmm. so that's fascinating I'm gonna have to uh, to give that a look for sure thanks for that recommendation anything else to add on a, a busy show with a couple of
0: great interviews I have nothing man we uh, are very grateful to both Justin and and Jason for coming on and and talking about their, their uh, players of expertise with us.
1: Thanks as always to you guys for listening. Thanks to moon taxi for the music. And yeah, thanks to just Justin and and to Jason for their input. Uh, Tim was great being back. Fresh, ready to go. Working it's great for my me too. Was,
0: I was very, I was very nervous doing a solo show. Man, you week. killed
1: it! It was fantastic. Yeah. It was, it was really, really well done. You, you talk about the editing. I know Braden's not a very good editor, so I know he can't really, he can't really do too much to help you. Uh, you helped yourself. Uh, it was, it was really well done, and that's, it's not easy, not easy to do a solo show and just listen to yourself talk. But uh, it was substantive. It was interesting. But glad to be back, so we could triple the length of this thing with my rambling. Um, So, yeah, thanks again to Moon Taxi for the music. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell a friend about us. Give us each a follow on Twitter. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for giving us microphones. We will talk to you guys next week.